so yeah, so we have these two voices inside of ourselves. This is a class on self-love, self-acceptance. And sometimes the voice can say really true things that sound right, and they are right. There is elements of absolute truth in them for us. So we listen to it and we give it all our power. And really the goal of that voice, Rebison Heller once told me the best thing. She said, I said, how do you know if it's your Yetzirah or your Yetzirah? Right? And this is all coming back down to because the Yetzirah will never give you self-love and self-acceptance. Right? The Yetzirah's goal is never to make you feel loved and accepted. Right? The Yetzirah's goal usually is to make you feel this big and terrible. You're a bad person. You're never going to accomplish anything. You're not good enough. All of these phrases you've heard millions of times somehow. I'm not good enough, I'm going to fail, uh, yeah, I'm not lovable, I'm, no one loves me, I'm not going to succeed, whatever it is, so same self-talk. You probably have, everyone has their own like loop, their own pattern loop, right? You should know your loop. Um, and the Yetzirah's goal is to make you feel small. So Reverend Heller, I once asked her, so how do you know if it's your Yetzirah? Because again, if you know it's your Yetzirah, you have much more likelihood of then beating that, right? Beating the, the test in a way or, or overcoming that challenge if you know, ah, oh, this is my Yetzirah. As soon as you know, oh, this is my Yetahara, it's all of a sudden takes the power out of it, right? And all of a sudden doesn't have power over you. Like this is about righteous people. It's not that when big, big righteous people, we think, okay, they don't have the Yetahara. They just know what the right thing is and they listen to it. But really, the Torah says they do have, in fact, to the level that you have a Yetahara, you have to have a counterbalance of your Yetahara. You have to have both because otherwise it's not a fair free will decision. You can't earn your reality if you don't have equal level of voices. So it's not true at all that righteous people don't have a Yetzirah. It's just they know when to listen to it and when not to. They know when it's the Yetzirah to ignore it. So one of the best metaphors I ever heard is it's like a barking chihuahua tied to a tree and you just walk on past. Right? The Yetzirah, you're not good enough. You're not going to succeed. Oh, that's my Yetzirah. I don't give it any power. So they just know how to, how to assign attention and power to the right voices internally. Life-changing. So your job is to know what the voice of your Yetzirah sounds like for you. It's very personal. Right? It's very personal. Um, mine is typically, uh, I'll have an image of what I think something should be, whether it's like, if I was saying I'm doing a speaking gig, and I know what it could be and what it would look like if it was the most awesome, perfect speaking you know, talk I ever gave. And then I say, oh, I'm never going to do that. I'm not going to, like, I then unravel myself that I could never do that. Right? So I have a perfect image, and then I would never do that, and then I feel not good enough already, and this is before I've even started. I've already got myself on the ground. Right? And then I'm like, this is ridiculous. Come back to yourself. I meditate for a few minutes. Just be myself, be in my power, be in my center, connect to my heart, go out there being real. And then that's what makes the, the, the talk a home run. But as soon as I go into the image of what I should be and what, who I should be and what it should look like, and that's not me, I'm dead. Right? So you've you got to know your, your own Yetzirah. So the, when I asked Robertson Heller, how do you know? How do you know? whether it's your Yetzirah or not, especially if it's using true, bless you, true words. She said, oh, just one simple question to ask yourself. She said, just ask yourself, if I get on this bus, meaning it's going in this direction, right? If I get on this bus, where is it going to take me, this voice? So if you imagine following the voice, whatever it's telling you, where do you end up? Do you end up more of yourself or do you end up less of yourself? Do you end up feeling like, okay, I'm going to change? Or do you end up feeling like this big, like I'm pathetic and miserable? And It's very easy once you ask yourself that question to know exactly where you're going to get to if you follow that voice. So no matter what it's telling you, it doesn't matter. You don't listen to the voice because you know its intention. Intention is not good for you. Even your own voice, right? It's literally a game changer to look at it that way. It's like, what is the intention of this voice? Is the intention to make me grow? How, what, what do we respond well to? 
if you had a teacher, a mentor, a parent, an aunt, an uncle that was like encouraging of you and supportive and you made you want to be your best, the voice was never a voice of judgment and damning and criticisms like in a negative way, right? They were always believing in you. They made you feel good about yourself. They made you believe in yourself that you could do anything, you could change, you could do whatever it was you needed to do. And then from that, you wanted to grow into that, right? So that's the same voice we must have in our head when we want to grow and become better. And the Yetzirah, the Yetzirah, all you Yetzirahs are so angry at me now because I'm, I'm literally blowing out of the water their tactic, right? But the, the Yetzirah's tactic is to use truth to then undermine you and make you feel terrible, right? But then you, you can't argue back because it's true what it's saying. But really, it's, that's the voice of the Yetzirah to unravel you as opposed to a supportive, loving voice that's much more understanding and compassionate. Like, okay, so you've got these things to work on, but you also have all these strengths. And then when you balance your own self-perception with the strengths and the things you work on, it doesn't feel so bad. You don't feel this big. You feel like, hey, I'm a good person, essentially. I'm doing well. I've got a lot of strengths. I've got a lot of, cha- I've got a lot of challenges. I've got a lot of strengths. I've got a lot of abilities to overcome those challenges that Hashem put into me. And I can, I can build myself. And you feel hopeful and you feel positive and you feel like, I want to do it. I want to do this. I want to change. I want to grow. And you feel it's possible and I can do it. And you don't give up, right? The biggest, biggest triumph of the Eight Sahara is to make you despair or give up. So sometimes if I know, if I check in with myself and I feel like I just want to give up, like it's all too hard, I'm like, oh, the Eight Sahara's got me like around my neck, right? Because if that's the feeling I'm feeling, I somehow missed it. If you ever want to give up, it's just too hard. Can't do it. That means the Yetzirah is one in that, in that moment. So that's another indicator. Once you start paying attention to the signposts, then it's much, much easier. So the voice of self-love and compassion is not the voice of, everything's great, you're wonderful, you don't need to grow at all. Like That's not the voice of self-love and compassion, right? As in, it's not, it's not denying your challenges. It's not denying your, your things you need to work on. We're here to work. This lifetime is about working on yourself. And, and achieving your potential and your tikkun, right? Your tikkun is your soul correction. That's what you're here in this lifetime for. But the way to do it is not ever through self-criticism in the harsh way or it's self-damning or it's through acceptance of what is and now what's the next step, right? Acceptance of what is is, okay, this is the reality. This is what's going on for me right now. This is, this is, my, this is what I'm finding hard. This is what I'm finding easy. These are my strengths and weaknesses, and like, what's the next step? Not, not beating yourself into a judgment, you know, like a ju- with, with judgment into a pulp. Question? Uh, I had a question. Like, how, I feel like it's really hard to get out of that, like, vicious cycle. Like, once you get into it, it's like, I feel like the noticing part of noticing that, oh, this is my Sahara, I feel like that's really difficult. That's the first step. Right. Notice, you can't get out of it without noticing it. Once you're in a spiral and you're in the middle of the spiral, it's definitely harder. Um, if you bring in awareness at that point, it's still hugely advantageous to bring in awareness. Often in that place, what happens with the, with the spiral is you disconnect um, from everyone and everything, including yourself, right? Sometimes you're just like in Netflix escape land or ice cream escape land or go out and get drunk or like whatever it is, like your escape. Um, and so at that point, you might have to just see the spiral out, but then realize that you've had awareness around it, whereas you didn't have awareness before, and then the next time, catch it earlier. So like, the, the real key is 
what does it sound like as it starts up? How does my, how does my spiral start? What are the first kind of thoughts that, my spi that, I, that I start to think that lead me into that spiral? How did this, whatever it was that night, how does that spiral start for you and go back to what, does something trigger it? Right? Sometimes just it can be a relative that can trigger it. Sometimes it could be an event that you go to. You just feel terrible about yourself or you started comparing yourself to other people and you felt terrible. That's often a big one for women is comparison. Right? But whatever, whatever it is, I don't have what they have and I'm so in comparison I'm terrible rather than the only thing that counts is my own reality and what I'm meant to be doing in my life and it's got nothing to do with another person. So catching yourself at each point of like what triggers me into the spiral is the most important thing. Sometimes what happens is you become so self-absorbed that you end up um, so negative and depre depression and anxiety often is also when you're so self-absorbed. You're totally self-absorbed. You, you're so into yourself that you can't get out. It's very, very hard. So the only way out then is by giving. It's by, st it's okay. Is by stepping out of yourself to choose to give to another person. So I never believed this until I was in Israel and I was in a, in a spiral. And the spiral was, again, I thought it was good because I thought it was working on myself. So I was like, but I've got all these things and I'm trying to work on myself and I feel terrible that I have these things and I don't know how to get out of it and I felt suppressed that I had these things and I went to speak to a Rebidson so she could give me more insight about my things and it was all about me and all about me and all about my issues and all about, I could tell you the analysis of why I had these issues and what it was connected to and right because I'm a psychologist so I know da, 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 but I was it was totally about me I went to this Rebidson and I said I went to this Rebidson and I said um I said uh I told her what was going on and I said what can I do like what can I how c oh I think well we moved the ladder right. sorry okay. <laughs> that's the best I could do um we went I went to this Rebidson and I said um I said, you know, like, can you give me some insight? Like, what do I have to work on to get out of this? And I was in the spiral and she just, she thought deeply. I thought she was gonna give me some like deep insight I didn't have about myself again. And she just said, have you done any chesed lately? I'm like, what? She goes, have you done any chesed lately? Like an act of kindness or giving for someone else? I'm like, uh, no, not really. Like, not really, like not, not as a thing. She said, maybe you should try and do some chesed. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I literally had no idea what she was like. She had no idea. It was like so random. I didn't get why she was saying it. And she did it in the most nicest, sweetest way, basically saying you're, you're really self-absorbed right now. But basically she just said, often when we're in this place, she said it's because we've just gone so far in to ourselves that we, the only way to get out is to do something for someone else because that connects you to others outside of yourself and then you pull out of yourself, right, that hole, that spiral. And I was like, seriously? Like, I, I, I thought she was like, uh, like, well, this is so simplistic. This is like, what is this? Like, this is a Torah approach. To, like, I'm a psychologist. I know about all the multiple levels of complexity and nuances of depression and anxiety and this and that. And like, you tell, well, I'd go and do a good deed, right? Come on. So, but I, I didn't say that to her, but inside that's what I was feeling, very arrogant. And afterwards, um, I said, okay. And I like left her and it's like, that was a complete waste of time. And about... I don't know, half an hour later, someone came up, running up to me. I was at, I was at Nevea in Israel, and she said, 
oh my gosh, could you please help me out? I'm like, what? And she goes, I usually feed this like 94-year-old soup for dinner at her apartment in, in the area where, we was, where I was staying. And she said, I really can't do it. I have a conflict today, but I need someone to just go. She don't have to cook for anything. Just heat it up on the stove. The soup's made, but she needs someone to heat it up for her and sit with her while she eats it. And she's really nice. She's just hard of hearing. So you have to speak loud. And she's a really sweet grandma. She's like 94, but like she was just lonely and she needs someone. And I usually go and do it, whatever. I could even pay you because I get paid something to do it every day. Could you please, please, please? So I was like, okay, like, so funny that this chesed opportunity arose two minutes, like half an hour after the Reverson suggested it. So I said yes, and I went, I went down to the, to this lady, and I spent an hour with this other lady, heating up her soup and talking to her and making sure she was okay, and having to speak, scream loudly at her so that she knew that, like, you know, I could hear and whatever, and after that hour, I was like a different person. I was like a completely different person. I got out of myself for an hour. And I actually helped someone and gave some, like, something else to find me rather than just my inner, inner, inner world and head noise. And, and, and unfortunately, the world of self-help we think is a great thing because it's about helping yourself, right? Although I always think, you know, too much self-help, right? Um, so meaning, meaning if you're too self-absorbed, it just doesn't lead to growth. It really doesn't. It disconnects you ironically, right? Too much self. Focusing on self actually disconnects you. And the whole goal of a Jew is to emulate God, right? Emulate godliness. That we have a godly soul inside of us, a higher self, and we're meant to come from that higher place. You can only emulate godliness if you end up becoming a giver. So the self-development is only good enough so that I can become a really good vessel to be able to give to others. And what happens in the Western world that we live in is that it's all focused on self-help, which sounds good, but that's where it stops. So then it becomes self-absorption and selfies and self, everything's self, right? And so that's it. You stop there. And then what happens? That actually disconnects you. The irony is such an irony because it, sound, it feels like you're working on yourself and really it disconnects you. Right? Rav Dessler's whole essay, the famous Kuntras Chesed essay, is about at any given moment, you're either a giver or a taker, whether you're aware of it or not. It's really scary if you think about it. At any given moment in your life, you're choosing to give or take. Right? You're either being focused on another or you're being selfish. Now, sometimes you need to be self-nurturing or self-focused so that you can then fill up, so that you can give to yourself, so you can focus on, like, what do I need to improve on? So then that's not selfish because you're trying to correct yourself so you can continue being a giver. Again, it's all about intention. Like, am I doing it just to focus on me and satisfying my needs and gratifying my needs? just for the sake of pleasure because I feel like it? Or am I doing it because I want to be the best I can be so that I can then be in this world to achieve my potential and give back and be the best person I can be for others? And it's all about intention. The whole thing is about intention. You have two people do exactly the same thing with different intention and one is a mitzvah and one is an avera, like the same thing. So nothing to do with the act, it's to do with the intent. So the goal is that sometimes you need to say no to others. Someone asked me today, was it Yasmin? Yeah, um, about boundaries. Like, so where do you know the difference between like when I need to say, no, I don't want to be a giver. I don't want to share something with you. I can't do that for you or whatever it is. Is that selfish? It's a great question, right? What's the boundary between being selfish and self-nurturing? Right? Anyone, anyone want to guess? Well, can I give an instance or like an example? I mean, I don't, I don't know like where would this would fall, but like I had a few friends over at my apartment and we're trying to decide what to do for like lunch or something. And they're like, let's just eat at Debo's place. I'm let's like, let's oh. what? 
like eat at my place. I call, refer to myself as Devo. <laughs> um, they're like, let's just eat at Devo's place. And I'm like, I'm like, guys, I'm at a restaurant. Like, my food is like for me. <laughs> like, and then whatever we did, we ended up eating at my place, and like we just made pasta. It was no big deal. But like, I don't know. Like, I don't know where that would fall. But what, what was, so did you, were you resentful at the end of the day or was it fun? Like, in the end, was that a bad thing? You didn't have enough food? You didn't have enough money to buy food? You... I don't know. I mean, I don't think I was resentful. I just, like, would prefer that, I don't know. Like, I don't want to, like, it, it sounds horrible, I guess. Like, you know, like, I buy my food. I want to eat my food. I mean... Did you feel good having provided the food in the end at, after it all? Good, but I, I didn't feel bad. Right. It wasn't. You didn't wasn't feel bad. Either or it was just yeah. like you know okay well whatever it's pasta no big deal it's a dollar a box like. Right. So so our human nature, like an animalistic nature of every person, is to always snap back and say like a scarcity. There's not going to be enough. If you eat my food, I'm not going to have enough food. This is for me because the fear is I'm not going to have either enough money or food or whatever it is at some point. If you keep, I can't keep doing this. I'm not a restaurant. Right. That's from a very like primal place of survival, right? That's a natural knee-jerk reaction. And then there's the higher self that can choose to override that, that can say, and I want to give anyway, and I trust that if I give, I'll get, I'll get more. And right, there's two, they're, they're two different, literally the two different voices. So the the. The goal in life is always to choose to be a giver because we, we want to choose to come from our higher self. But you can only choose to give if you have what to give. So if it's true that you really are on a strict budget because of whatever you're earning and you've allocated money per week to buy your groceries and you know you only have those groceries for you, it's not selfish to say no because you really don't have what to give. So it's not, it's not just coming from a primal instinct. You just really can't give because you, you don't have what to give. But say you do have what to give and it's pasta and it's not so expensive and you really could afford it, you do a quick calculation in your head, and you say, like, it's not going to hurt me in any way, I do have what to give, then the soul wants to give. The soul, it becomes then godly. Then you're acting godly, you're providing food, and you can, if you see it that way, you end up getting, like, a certain sipuka nefesh, a certain um, inspiration from the fact that, wow, on one hand, I was, like, reactive and, like, no. and the other hand, if I overrode my human nature, my lower nature to be more godly, now it's a massive mitzvah. You've identified with your soul. You're coming from your higher self. And there's a feeling of, like, that eternal, eternity feeling that you have sometimes when you do a mitzvah, when you know you did something that was beyond this level of nature that feels a million bucks that because you overrode that nature. It's very natural to have that knee-jerk reaction. Most people don't challenge it. They just say no. Right? Or someone says, can I borrow something? And you're like, no, I don't. I just don't want it. I, don't, I just don't want to lend you something. Just for the sake of the fact that I don't want to lend, right? Because my animal desire is, no, it's mine. That's a very low level. So the goal of a Jew is to override that level and choose to give anyway. And to the point where you do it enough times that you identify them with a higher soul and you don't even have that lower reaction at some point, right? That is, that's where you get to if you keep doing that. And you can only give what you have to give. So the women, just to give a caveat, they don't take questions. The women's uh, challenge is that we usually try to give even when we don't have what to give. We try to give even when I don't. And then when I can't give, I feel guilty that I should have given even though I didn't have what to give, right? And then that's called beating yourself up and, right? When really it was self-nurturing to say no because I couldn't really afford to give. Maybe that's also like you're so stressed out and someone wants you to come over and help them with something and you just have to say no because you know that if you do that, you're going to be a complete schmata and you need to recharge and go and just like have a nap, 
right? Or you need to go and just like take care of yourself and eat something because you haven't eaten all day. Whatever it is, like that's not selfish. That's because I need to sometimes give it to myself first, right? So the, the famous metaphor Rabbi Kelman used to talk about was the ambulance. An ambulance spends the whole day saving lives. And there's times where the ambulance is going to run out of gas. And at some point, the, the ambulance must refuel in order so that it can continue saving lives. But in the moment it's refueling, is it likely that it could miss a life and someone could actually die because it's not, it's not running around and it's refueling? Yes, someone could die if the ambulance is refueling. But the ambulance must refuel, otherwise it cannot continue giving. So, so too, our, our main orientation in life is to be a giver. I, my my knee-jerk reaction is I want to be able to say yes. Sometimes I can't because I need to do something else. But if I can't, then I'll try and make, maybe I'll help some other way. Someone else could, could do it. Or maybe I'll call another restaurant, see if they can host. Or maybe, right? I still want to give. My, my orientation is I want to give, right? But sometimes I have to give to me first so that I can continue giving. So I'm included in the equation of giving rather than, you know, just treating myself like a doormat. That's not the goal, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, beautiful. And you felt it. I felt really good. Yeah. You felt really good. And it, you can't really pinpoint where that feeling good is. Yeah. It's like a, it's an eternal feeling. Right. So the more you feel that goodness, the more you want it and the more you identify with the higher with a higher self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um sometimes something that I kind of is sometimes I like tend to be a people pleaser. And like um I think it's stems from like I'm very uh empathetic. And I really empathize with people like a lot, a little bit too much sometimes. But when I'm with like my close friends, like I can feel like, oh, they really want to go there, and like I just like always like let them like, oh, but like then I like, feel in my head like, oh, their desire to be strong and like, they're so happy. So like I do that. Like what's wrong with that? Because sometimes, because sometimes I don't want to do that. Like I prefer this or that, and like then I just end up following everyone mm. like ways because like with all my friends. So again, checking in with your intention is the reason that you go along with what they want because you want to people please. Again, being really honest with yourself. Even it's coming from that place, it's not coming from a place of strength. So the goal is always to say, like, if I'm choosing to give, meaning I could speak up, but I'm choosing to be a giver because 
okay, I don't have to do what I want to do. I'm okay yeah, to... I always have that. I have that mentality a lot to the point where like, I feel like it just like, it builds up. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's what, never, what builds up? It's like, and then it's like, oh, well, these past like 10 like, times, like I did this and this and this, and like I let this go and I let that go. Cause it's like, why not? Like I can give them, like I don't really mind. No, 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 but deep down with all of us, it's not just to you. We all do this, by the way. This is a very, very common pattern for women. Very, very common. Um, we do it to people, please. Meaning we don't want to speak up and say what we really want because we're scared of they're going to either not like me as much, they're going to reject me, they're going to judge me, they're going to be upset with me, whatever it is, right? So we just shut up because we can handle whatever they want to do. But the real drive and intention where it's coming from is I, 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 want, I want them to like me. I, want to, I don't want to rock the boat. I want, you know? So that's not coming from a place of giving. So again, when it comes from a true place of giving, you won't, it won't build up. So that's your indicator. Right? So it could be that you need to actually flex that muscle for a little bit and, and allow yourself to voice what you want. And then after you've done that enough times, you'll be able to let go of what you want. Yeah. But you never had the chance to do that because you never let yourself yet. So sometimes the way through to development is to let yourself have the voice first and then choose to... You don't, for you, it would be easy to say, oh, I do that all the time. I just let everyone do whatever they want. But really, you've ignored yourself in the process of it. So sometimes the way through is to... Let yourself have the voice first and then choose to be a giver from a different place. Because mm -hmm. the, the, the area of growth for you will be to speak up. Right? That'll be the avoda that will be a positive for you right. to balance you more. Right. So I always say the biggest power a woman has is being willing to disappoint. Mm -hmm. If you're willing to disappoint another person, then you're liberated. If disappointment governs you and like you, you make choices because you don't want to disappoint people, or upset them, so then you're trapped. Yes? I You could just say my preference would be to do X. And if they don't listen to you, they don't listen to you, but at least you spoke up. Right. At least you said what your preference was. I don't think it's about getting your way all the time. I think it's about speaking up. Yeah. And if your friends never, ever, ever do what you do, then maybe you want to reconsider some new friends. Meaning if your friends are so selfish because they're used to you being a doormat for them and they always are used to just bossing you around and you doing whatever they want, so it could be that you've attracted friends that way but that's, that's the formation of the dynamic because they're used to you doing that. So when you do speak up, they don't really care because they're used to you not having a voice. There could be at that point, it's worth developing some new friends at Sold, you know, who, who will allow you to be a little bit different. You know, and it doesn't mean you have to get rid of your old friends, but it might be that you choose to reformulate friendships in a new way. You know, sometimes you can be locked into old dynamics based on who you were, not who you're becoming. And it's better to choose good friends that you can grow with into who you want to be and support that vision of yourself. By the way, when people go to Israel and go to seminary and learn in Israel, they find those like lifelong friendships where you bond on becoming your highest self, for example, like typically, you know, and then you spend time together and support each other in that growth versus say friends that you meet at a bar or friends that you meet at work and it's like dog eat dog and like it's all about competition and like looking you up and down and what are you wearing and do you, you know, if you look skinny and cool and hot, then they'll be friends with you and you know that, it's gross. It's a gross feeling, right? It's very like you're an object and it's all about status and power and competition and 
dog eat dog, and like that's what we want to get away from. No one likes that. Because we know we're so much more than that. It's like, it's a very narrow, small place to live. So here, the, the issue is not about giving. The issue is about her, her, Rachel's, um, Rachel's a voter. I hope you don't mind me just sharing from this example. Is is to speak up, meaning the voter for her to become her fullest self here is not to be. She has no problem giving. She has no problem of being called Mavata yourself, letting go of yourself for someone else. That's not her problem at all. I mean, other people that would be their problem. For, for Rachel, it's not that problem at all. It's, it's the opposite, meaning you have to know who you are, where you're at, and what the balance is for you. So for her, she has to give to herself. She doesn't give to herself first. She's not actually truly going to be from coming from a place of giving. She has no problem giving up herself, her own reality, but it's not a true place of giving until you can choose to say no, right? There's a difference between being passive and surrender, for example, right? So people, it could look the same on the, on the outside, but if I, if I don't speak up because I'm scared of what people might think, not talking about racial now in general, this is very common. If I don't speak up because, because I'm scared of what people might think, that's not, a, that's not from a giving place. That's from a fear place. So my place of growth is to be able to speak up when I want to in a very respectful, polite way, not aggressive. But I'm not scared. I'll feel the fear and do it anyway until I become comfortable with speaking up. And then once I know I can speak up, then I could choose not to speak up because it's not coming from the same place. Does that make sense? So that's, you have to know yourself. You have to know what, what are my areas that I need to work on, you know, and then, and then go in the opposite direction of those, whatever your tendency is. You have to know your tendencies. My tendency is to hold back. Like, my tendency is to speak, I speak my mind too quickly. So I know by definition to practice the opposite is just to, no matter what, just don't speak, just, just hold back. The holding back is the muscle that I need to balance. I'll just, I'll just shoot off my mind too quickly and I probably shouldn't have said that. It got me in trouble. I was too direct. Oh, I hurt someone's feelings. There's a whole lot of things that happen from that. Now, sometimes it's really great. Some people love that. You know, wow, I know exactly where I stand with you. You're direct. You know, you'll just say it as it is. It has a lot of good qualities, but it has bad qualities as well. So I have to have more choice around it. So in order for me to have more choice, I have to choose to hold back. Now, if you didn't know that about me and you saw me holding back, you'd say, oh, wow, she can't speak up. But it's not the truth, right? It's you got to know yourself. I also think something that you mentioned, uh, when you are speaking up, you're giving your honest and true self to your friends. And if you can give that to them, it's like the same concept of being able to like take care of yourself so you can give, like recharging and refueling. But... When you're with friends, if you're giving your honesty, that's like the best way I feel like to give. Versus if I'm thinking about if I'm in a relationship and I keep things to myself, I'm not actually showing up. And so that's not really fair because like they think, they, they don't know. So if I can give honesty, even if, my honesty, even though if we don't want to go to the same place, if I don't want to go there, it doesn't mean that you, what you want to do is wrong. It just means what I feel like doing is not what you feel like doing which is my honest self, and it's, I feel like, I don't know, but I see how that's, like, that, I feel like I struggle with that, too. Yeah. The challenge for me is setting boundaries with my family, because... They're the hardest. 
they gave me so much, and I want to give back so much and help them like with my time and help them with anything that they need. And then also, because like when I was younger, I was sort of obligated to help them because I was a child, but now I'm a young adult, and it's challenging to transition into that like new role and set boundaries. Boundaries Without the guilt, the guilt monster. Yeah, also. Right, so the guilt monster is someone else's idea of who you should be. Right, it's usually not. Um, guilt is different to regret. Regret is healthy when I've done something I know is wrong and then I regret it. Guilt is just when I think I should just be doing something different and I just feel guilty for the sake of feeling guilty, right? Because I think I should be somehow different because it's usually someone else's values imposed on me. In order to be the perfect daughter, I should be able to give whatever they need whenever they need it. That's, the, that's usually the, right? And then whenever I can't give that for vi- even valid reasons, I feel guilty. Yeah, like I feel bad. I, I just feel bad. I should be able to help them. You know, right. my mom, my dad, they send me, they take me here, Right, or there's a hook in there that um, it's not okay for you to have your own separate life on some level. Like you're, you're indebted to them and enmeshed uh, with them forever. So part of healthy actualization now is, is separating away from your family, right? Lech lecha, go to yourself. That's the whole, the whole word about going to yourself is about being able to actualize, leave your land, your birthplace and your father's house. It's in the Torah as a, as a command to all Jews to leave how they were raised. Meaning don't be scared to leave how you were raised. It's going to be good for you, he says. God says to Abraham, right? Lech lecha, go to yourself, lecha, and go for yourself. It's going to be good for you to go to yourself. Go on your own journey internally. Don't be guilty. Don't be scared, right? This is going to be good for you. So that's a command to all of us to go on that deeper spiritual journey and to fulfill it. And don't be scared even to leave the values of how you were raised, meaning there's some you'll keep and there's some you'll move past. Right, but and that this is by the way this this is this it's nothing to do with religion. This is like if you if you choose to be vegan and your parents are meat meataholics, or if you choose to um, raise your kids differently to how your mother raised you. At some point, there'll be a clash of values. It doesn't matter what it is. Religion's just one of them. But whatever that is, there's going to be a clash of say I feel guilty because my parents raised me and they loved me so much and they did it this way, but I really want to do it a different way, or I have different needs, or I have different wants, and I feel bad if that clashes with what the people I love have. And the, the goal at this point in your life, how old are you? 22. At 22, perfect, exact time. You're right on time. Like, you're right on target. It's great. At 22 is you're coming into your own as a young adult, and that's the, cho- that's the, that's the choice to make that separation in the sense of not, of not loving and not being with, but choosing to have the... the um, you have the spiritual commandment, in a way, to have your own path and your own journey, and you're meant to. And you're meant to take everything your family gives you and build on it to the next level and take it to the next level that even your family couldn't do, like spiritually. Right? But that sometimes make, means making different decisions. That's what Abraham did, right? The, the first Jew left his whole family how he was raised, right? He was, uh, his father was an idolater, uh, idol worship, and he saw God and everything, and he chose to go in a different direction. Everyone thought he was crazy, right? And I'm sure his father was saying, like, how could you do this? I, look how I raised you, <laughs> Right? But at some point, you have to have this courage. You draw on your inner courage using your mind with the Torah as a map and a mentor, potentially, saying it's okay. 
right? And listening to your inner world, like actually I really want to help mom and dad, but I really can't right now because I really know that what I need to do is this for me right now. And then you have the Torah as a map saying that's totally fine and you have a mentor saying totally valid and then you just give yourself permission. That's where the self-love, self-acceptance versus the self-criticism, the self-negative talk, that's where the Yetzirah can come in, right? Yetzirah, if I had to guess, would hook you with guilt. Guilt is such a great one. It's going to get you every time. So your guilt is a way that it can make you small and not become who you're meant to be. Does that make sense? Does that resonate? Yeah. So every time you feel guilty, you can start labeling it as Yetzirah. Knowing that your guilt usually doesn't show up in a, in, with things that are reasonable. It's like every time you feel like you need to do anything for yourself, you feel guilty. But that's, that doesn't, that, that, the Torah does not support that. So when you look in the Torah as a map, you say, oh, okay, I don't need to feel guilty. I can give myself complete permission to do what I need to do and not feel guilty. Does that feel like a possibility? Yeah. Yeah. You have to play with it in the moment say, wow, okay, I don't have to feel guilty now. And you start using that as a muscle. Are you going to say something? No. Oh. Okay. Is this making sense? Yeah. Um, so self-love and self-compassion um, come in with accepting who I am in this moment and accepting whatever's going on in this moment as being just, this is where I'm at, and it's okay. This is what I need to do, right? And having a compassionate self-talk that even if you messed up, even if you made a mistake, even if, okay, you're not a bad person, you're a wonderful, beautiful soul who's got huge potential. Like, we lose sight of that when we get into that negative space. And whenever you lose sight of that, it means you're not in your yates at all. Okay. Let's do a meditation.